This episode is brought to you by Amazon.com. Go to this episode's page on Nerdist.com and click on the Amazon banner. Then shop like you regular do on Amazon, which is the place where everybody buys everything. Are there other stores? I don't think there are. So help support our show by supporting our sponsors. Again, go to this episode's page at Nerdist.com and click on the Amazon banner. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be enlightening. It's very really frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits A26LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on A26LA, visit A26LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program and the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. Our first panelist has wide-ranging early credits, including George Lopez, Ugly Betty, and 90210. In the past few years, she's concentrated on hour-long dramas, including Lie to Me and In Plain Sight, as well as developing her own material. She currently writes on A&E's The Glades. Please welcome Daylin Rodriguez. <laughs> A former vice president of the Harvard Lampoon, our next panelist is also the author of More Than a Label, A Treatise for Teens, which explores the roles of cliques and labels. After writing on Fox's animated sit-down, shut up, she moved to NBC's Parks and Recreation. Please welcome Aisha Muhar. <laughs> With his writing partner, Garrett Donovan, our final panelist has written for Family Guy, Scrubs, and Community, among others. This season, he'll be co-showrunner of ABC's Ben and Kate. Please welcome Neil Goldman. Well, you guys, uh, let's get to the most pressing issue. Uh, it's been in the news. The, why, why are you looking at me? The fake news. Because uh, you might have an inside story for us, uh, or at least some, um, you know, eyewitness account. Right. Um, I think we all want to hear about Daddy-O. <laughs> Good Miss Lee. Uh, no, let's talk about, let's talk about community. Uh, as of this weekend, um, Dan Harmon has been asked to step down, or fired, uh, as the showrunner of community. Uh, Neil, you are on community. Uh, but I, I, as I said to you guys before, I'd like to kind of make this a, a bigger question about, you know, what is the role of the showrunner? You've, you've run show, you and your partner have run shows, and you guys have worked closely with showrunners, uh, and showrunners with very strong voices as well, uh, as Harmon has. Um, can we take a guy like this out of a show like Community, and can it succeed Again, you know, like the audience said, what does that mean to succeed? Can it succeed creatively? Can it succeed financially? Uh, will it continue? Uh, you know, jump in. Again, I mean, Neil, you're going to have some insight for us having just come off the show. Yeah, and opinions. And you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm processing it like everybody. And it's been, it's turning in, for me, it's turning into a really interesting sort of just philosophical question because community, I mean, Dan, Dan's the only, he's the, by far the most powerful 
writer I've ever worked beside. And the reason for that, for those of you who've been to Harmontown or know Dan or whatever, and he'd be the first to say it, is because he's fucking crazy. <laughs> and, um, and everybody around him knows it, and he doesn't care. There are no repercussions. There never have been. Um, and it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, we've had Dan here a couple times. Sure. And we've had uh, McKenna and some of the other guys. Right, but right. Um, it seems like the writers who get on board with him are the ones who stick around, first of all. I mean, who kind of embrace that crazy and say, you know, we drink the Kool-Aid. We want to help make this show Dan's vision. Yeah, I mean, that was my, and Garrett, my role being brought onto the show because, and, and the showrunner question is an interesting one. It's changing a little bit. Um, years ago, um, you know, the showrunner was the guy that created or the gal that created the show. And they were generally somebody who climbed the ranks and was, you know, had a lot of television experience under their belts. Um, and these days, it's not the case anymore. These days, even, even Ben and Kate, which is a great show written by a, a, um, a great writer, Dana yeah. Fox, she has no television experience. She's a feature writer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think there was an article recently in Variety or somewhere about like, the fact that there, have been, there are many, many shows this year with all the comedies. And it's great that comedy's on its way back. But um, uh, uh, many of them did not have showrunners. Many yeah. of them were, were written or created by people who were either sort of lower level, didn't have the seasoning and experience. It's felt that showrunners need in order to to showrun. And um, some of them, like, like Dana, were, were written by people who you know never really set foot in a writer's room. Um, there's a reason for that, um, I'm sure. Um, many reasons for it. You know, in terms of like fresh voices and the other the other sort of process that wasn't working, throwing giant amounts of money at people with experience just because they had a great credit on, on friends or what have you, didn't necessarily translate to, you know, success or creating more shows. But, um, you know, uh, uh, so, so and Garrett and I, too, it's like we haven't, we've been showrunners for a while now, this will be the third show. Uh, we, we, we ran Scrubs under Bill Lawrence. Um, toward the end of that run, we ran Community three years besides Dan, this will be our third. Um, you know, this little, we've, this little niche is sort of we didn't carve it out for ourselves, but it sort of presented itself. The guys with experience who know how to run a show, uh, meaning like who know how to keep the trains running on time because mm-hmm. uh, television, it's, it is a factory. Um, there are deadlines to meet. Um, the, you know, there, there's always, there, there's a hundred moving parts and um, it gets to a point where sort of your writing still always remains a part of that and, and being creative remains a part of it, but all these things are sort of added to the equation. Like, you become the CEO, essentially, of the small company. You're, you're an administrator, you're a babysitter, you're a, a diplomat, you're, you know, you're all these things. Um, and, you know, for Dan, uh, very clearly early on, um, you know, we, we didn't know right off the bat. I mean, we knew of him from Channel 101 and his, his other pilot work, and he had this cult following. Um, we knew he was extremely smart. We walked out of our first meeting with Dan that lasted two and a half hours going, this guy's going to be a nightmare, but oh my God, is he, is he brilliant? You know, just, just talking. I mean, just the, the way he, you know, just so uh, articulate, mm-hmm. uh, the word I, I couldn't, I, I never seemed to be able to find. We love He's the opposite here. of me. Um, uh, and, um, and at what point were you guys brought in? We were brought in right after the pilot. You know, he, he met a few people and we, we clicked in the room. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty rough uh, first season just in terms of, like, Dan feeling everybody out and sort of having to be... He was on a learning curve as far as how these shows work and why, there are, why there's order and why, there are har- why there's a hierarchy in the writer's room and why people have different titles and why that's important, why it's not just sort of arbitrary. Um, he had to sort of catch up to why, the, why TV is done and produced the way it's produced. But at the same time, he was a guy with a very specific vision. Early on, I remember one of the first few episodes... 
um, he wanted to rebreak um, an episode after the table read uh, that it didn't require rebreaking, uh, meaning it was like it worked at the table. There were things that we could have done to it to make it work, but he got a different notion in his head during the week, and he wanted to do it. And I was saying to him, you know, this is, you know, the, the network doesn't know about it, the studio doesn't know about it. You can't just unilaterally <laughs> do what you want. Um, technically speaking, and you know, I made the decision. Um, uh, and, and NBC and, and Sony, they were nervous, but but I, Garrett, and I stepped in and said, you know, let's give him, let's let's we're rooting for him, but until he until he hangs himself with the rope we give him, let's give him that rope. Let's see what he does. Let's see let's see how this ends up, and um, and it turned out great. It was one of the early episodes. You guys are all familiar with the show. I assume where many <laughs> of you are. Very early episode when Abed. Um, uh, it was Abed and his dad, and Britta got involved, and uh, Abed made a video sort of you know, telling his dad. Uh, his dad wanted to cut him off, and Britta wanted Jeff to get involved. Um, and, it, and it sort of had this very poignant ending with, with Abed showing a movie that he made you know, that explained like, his, his mom left or whatever. And um, well, you know, regardless, th- th- it turned out great, and you know, there was more reinforcement after that. And Garrett and I realized, like, look, this, this is something special. This guy, even if he's not doing it, by the numbers, he he knows what he's doing, and let's see what his process is, and let's let's work with him, and let's work with his process. Um, sometimes it just meant having to work around his process because very oftentimes there wasn't one. Um, uh, we we some people were joking about writing a book about you know our experience, not, not Garrett and I, but all the writers that came through. Like you could write a book about yeah. this place, and you could write a book about every single episode on that show because they were so you know th- we, we they were, were all made completely differently. So on, the, on on community it was really a matter of Garrett and I um, recognizing what we had in Dan, wanting to protect what we had in Dan, having to grease the wheels with the studio network who weren't used to that type of you know that that that, that type of creator, and and ultimately realizing that. You know, Dan once said, either I make the final call on this show or I quit. And at that point, it, it becomes the studio networks, uh, it falls in their lap whether they're going to call that bluff or not. You know? And they didn't until, um, and it, that wasn't the case uh, recently but, um, with, with this particular instance. Right. But um, they didn't call that bluff, and he, and he was able just to do what he wanted um, for three years. I don't know if it's ever going to happen again. That type of creator having having such a strong vision, which is why and not we, on network anyway. Right? Not on network, yeah. And and you know, we, it could be a whole other panel about whether or not community succeeded or failed. Um, um, and, and maybe we can revisit some of it later, but because I don't want to yeah. monopolize the conversation. But um, it's really interesting to me, you know, even even as a just with one foot, you know, on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, I think it is to all of us with you know where we're getting to watch this thing. But as writers, we all have a kind of a creative stake. In, in this situation. Right. You know, uh, there was an article, I think it was just today in The Hollywood Reporter, saying this is sending a message that um, creators are not safe. You know? And, and granted, I mean, I think that discounts a lot of Dan's crazy. Right. Um, but, you know, we, we brought up The West Wing, which I think is another good example, and it's come up a lot this weekend with this story. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you, they took Sorkin off it or Sorkin left it, right. and it became, you know, a lesser show for it. Yeah, you know, I worked on a show, I worked on a show called In Plain Sight, mm-hmm. and I, oh, came, I came on that show after the creator showrunner was fired. My understanding of why that person was fired was because it was untenable. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, scripts, I, it, do you know what I mean? It was scripts a tumultuous. Were, it was a tumultuous. It was tumultuous, and and it comes to a point where I hate to say this, but you get to a point where you kind of understand why network and studios fire some of these people because 
it, this is a business. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if your scripts are coming in late and you're prepping on outlines or, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, or the actors are getting scenes five minutes before they're shooting, it affects the quality of the show, even if you have a genius. It, it does. You know? I, I agree. That's, yeah. And that's certainly conventional wisdom. But that was week in, week out, the case on Community. For all the episodes <laughs> that these guys would raise their hand. And it's, maybe it's the exception that, that proves the rule. Yeah. There's certainly a place where you can understand they're the people who are putting the money up. They're the people who are investing in it literally and, and figuratively. They're the, the executives and, and whatever whose jobs it is to put, be able to put their fingerprint on something and, and, and conform it to the, you know. That's why I say, like, I don't know if it'll happen again. That's because of Dan. It's just like the perfect storm of circumstances of where NBA is at um, the fact that a 1.4 or 1.5 was enough to keep the show on the air for three years um, you know the following that, that the, the show accrued but what's interesting too is I, at the end of the day I don't believe I don't think I'm going on a limb saying this I don't believe if, if the behavior was better and the show ran smoothly for three years maybe that would have been that would have been that would have been something that the factor that tilted the scales in the other direction and Dan would still be with the show um, I think um, I think it was you know, there were so many opportunities. He, there were so many fireball offenses <laughs> by Dan, by us, some of them occurring in this very room, um, uh, that there were plenty of chances early on for, for the, the network studio to step in, being nervous and protect their investment. But here it is, the show managed to stay on the air for three years, something that doesn't happen very often. But I, want, I wonder, just out of curiosity, yeah. if a little bit of that is because a show like Community has such a nerdy and crazy fan base that there is an element of the network for a split second when they're sane for a moment thinking maybe we shouldn't fire that creator that everybody right. is a big fan of so they they wait till they finally feel like it's completely there there's no, Agree, you know, point of no return but they picked up 13 more good point <laughs> um yeah. you know it was it was um look it, at the end of the day corporations are and i'm not disparaging anyone somebody one bill lawrence who sat on this very panel whose dad was uh was a CEO of a company and said corporations, like by definition, almost are sociopathic in the sense that, not in the sense that they, in the sense that it's all about the bottom line. That that that, that boards, you know, of, of big companies like you know will make their decision based on money, not based on the human factor that much. Uh, all that often, to, uh, very often, there there are many examples in history of like ignoring the human factor completely for the sake of the bottom line. Um, uh, so I still think at the end of the day, this decision was driven by by what, um, and I'm guessing, this is pure speculation on my part, but I'm guessing it was largely, believe it or not, driven by, finan by, by financial concerns. There's a, there must have been a belief somewhere at that level, and I wasn't privy to it, and I am guessing that the show, that the longevity of the show, and I have a, and honestly, quite honestly, I have, a, I have a hard time wrapping my, my mind around it. I'm rooting for it. I own some of the shows, as does Dan. Dan would be very happy if the show goes on for another five years. It's win-win for him. But they made a decision that they think this is the better business decision for the show. They think the show, even on Friday night, even even on 8.30, it's another factor why, why I'm saying it's surprising to me. Not a growth slot, it's the opposite. Everybody calls it a graveyard slot for good reason. Mm. They believe the show has a, more potential to stay on longer right now without Dan Harmon. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, I'm not sure why. Well, you're, you're just illustrating the problem with the business. It's called art and commerce. It's like yeah. an oxymoron. <laughs> that, those two words shouldn't be next to each other. Unfortunately, I mean, and it, that's why this fascinates me. Like yeah. again, even though it shouldn't, my life doesn't ordinarily fascinate me. I'm not, I'm not unlike Dan, a narcissist. But, but, um, 
Uh, yeah, it really is interesting. It's, I mean, it's, it's a show that shouldn't have survived past 13 episodes, not because of bad behavior, because of, of ratings, because of sensibility. Sure, right. um, um, and again, it, there was a certain set of circumstances that led it to go this far, but yeah, art versus commerce. I mean, and, and you could, I could e- sit here easily and argue, I think very, um, very um, not definitively, but, but very convincingly, either side of the argument. Um, uh, you know, what should prevail um, on, on network broadcast television. But this is a different age. It's a different NBC. They're not getting 50. It's not the difference anymore between 15 million, million people watching and 25 million. We're, we're high-fiving each other when the show gets 1.6 instead of a 1.5. Well, I was just talking to my old boss, um, the showrunner from the last season of Lie to Me. We were pulling in the threes, they canceled us. Right. And now you see what's on Fox. What? Why'd you cancel yeah, us? It's, it's, <laughs> it makes no sense. It's all relative. It's all, I mean, there's so many factors involved. And um, Aisha has, has the actual secret. That's why she's being so quiet. She's going to tell us. <laughs> yeah. well, I, was, I was actually going to move to you, Aisha, because I'm curious. Uh, and maybe we should step it back a little bit. You know, you're on what I think we can all agree is a great show, Parks and Recreation. Um, <laughs> Um, and I would imagine, you know, you have a showrunner with very strong ideas, yes. uh, a vision for the show. Tell us just about being in that room and what is the showrunner's role on a day-to-day basis as far as writing the show. And I think, you know, maybe you can speak to whether it's typical or not, or maybe you guys can speak to that. Um, well, Mike, sure, runs our show. And he's, I feel like Mike is just kind of like, an affable genius, like the way <laughs> described it is that he's he's incredibly supportive. He loves to laugh, so I, and I think that comes across in our show. It's a super positive show, mm-hmm. and that's because Mike is that type of person, and and also Amy's that way too. So I think the combination of the two of them, and the fact that they come from SNL, where writers and actors work together, that he he's always encouraged all of us. It's like even when I I started as a staff writer, second season, and. He and Greg Daniels, who co-created the show, immediately told the new writers, just because you're new doesn't mean we don't want to hear you. We want you to say your idea. Don't be scared. Just start talking. It may not be accepted, but we want to know exactly what you're thinking. And uh, it's just very encouraging. And I think that, like, I mean, I think that the showrunner's voice is obviously a huge, important part of the show. I feel like it wouldn't be... I couldn't imagine our show without Mike's voice, without Mm -hmm. Greg's voice. And, you know, Mike learned from Greg, so that's also... Anything part of Mike is also part of Greg, sure. um, and it's just it comes through the show. And I worked on Sit Down, Shut Up before this, which was created by Mitch Hurwitz, mm-hmm. and that was very similar too. I it was my first job, and I was a huge fan of Arrested. And as soon as I met Mitch Hurwitz, I realized he was just he was talking just like Blues. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is where that comes from. He is he's those characters. He's Jason Bateman is him. Yeah. So I think that absolutely comes through, and it's super important. Sorry, no, I, was, I think it does. I think there are some shows where it's less of a factor, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, a show built around a stand-up, you know, like built specifically around somebody else's voice. Um, you know, community for sure is going to change. It's going to be a different show. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why I'm not there uh, without Dan. There's a reason why Chris McKenna isn't there without Dan. Yeah. It's not just out of loyalty. It's out of like self-preservation. Um, um, uh, you know, the, the show is going, there's no, there is no, like, empirical way to measure whether the show is going to be better or worse. Um, yeah, but, but it will be different, and for being different, um, it's, going to, it's going to be um, criticized, maybe, maybe embraced by new people, 
um, Friday at eight thirty. I'm not sure, but um, you know that, that, that that's that's the real that, that that was sort of the that was the if I were to just sort of take all the emotions out of it and and, and try to be just sort of make a cold blood decision. That, that's that's the piece that um, I, I want to. I, I'm curious about like how that time slot within like. For me, if you ask me what's the formula for keeping the show running on Friday, give the fans, continue to give this loyal fan base that kept showing up every Thursday exactly what they've been getting and, and more of it and let, you know, uh, let Dan f- finish or at least, at least, you know, as long as he's willing to be part of the show, be part of it. Um, if, if we bring over, you know, if, if he could bring over one, one out of that 1.4, the show will, will last and be on the air. Um, is he consulting with the show? No, well, he's no, no, just no. Going to... Yeah, he's done. He, um, you know, there is a, you know, it's spin slash. I mean, technically, in his contract, it does say when he's no longer part of the show, the clause kicks in. It says he's a consultant mm-hmm. and he gets paid X amount of dollars for being the creator, but he's not going to be involved in the show anymore at all. No, maybe something will change between now and then. I doubt it, but maybe. Uh, I'm curious, and just to kind of wrap this up, um, but uh, Neil, when you guys joined the show. You were coming fairly fresh off of Scrubs, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Bill is another, he's a strong personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, uh, different kind of crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you get his sense of humor and you right, definitely right. get his point of view. Um, tell me about going from Scrubs, where, again, you guys did run the show, too, for a while, and what you learned right. from him and what you brought to running that show, and then what you brought uh, from that to running Community. I mean, we, you know, you learn both, you emulate and you and you... You you know even in Bill's case you go I would do that differently or I do that differently you know Bill's a, Bill's a, a guy who is very passionate also uh, he know he's he's powerful he he came to that show powerful we didn't have table reads with studio network execs we didn't have run throughs we didn't have um, we didn't have, we didn't get notes period on that show um, uh, and somehow somehow it turned out okay but and lasted for eight years don't know how we did that but um, you know th- there was there was. Uh, you know, I, I learned um, diplomacy. I, I, I learned that I thought I thought Bill would even be a guy who would be that much more, you know, uh, and he may be the first person to say it that that he may even be even more powerful than he is already, and, and, and be more successful than he is already if if he was able sometimes. Like restraint is such a hard. It's such a hard. Uh, uh, believe me, it's like I, I was walking around at times on community just like rubbing parts of like these tension points that I learned about <laughs> because I was having pains from from having to sort of not just deal with the day in day out anxiety of running a show around Dan, but um, and just look normal. I mean, shows are hard. You guys know shows are it's really hard to write a show and you guys know it's really hard to write. Um, uh, without all of the you know the budgetary concerns and the cast concerns and the personality concerns within the writers room but um uh you know we sort of entered this job going well I'm, we're going to be a little bit more um uh and, and part of the reason bill didn't is because he didn't have to we knew we would have to deal with these execs we wouldn't we, we didn't have that type of power to keep them at bay so we we made a conscious decision and this goes back to the art versus commerce thing and how you have to sh- how you have to like walk a line to try to be inclusive, to try to, to communicate with the with the execs. Doesn't mean there was no friction. Doesn't mean you're you're you're, you're kissing ass. Doesn't mean whatever. But there was a certain amount of you know they need to feel like they have a lifeline that they that they have that they are um, that they are somehow involved or at least privy to what's going on. On Scrubs, we would pitch to the network exec uh, the week we were we, the third day of in production on that particular episode. Um, <laughs> 
we didn't go completely the opposite way in community. We still just, we didn't give them outlines. We went from a pitch, and the next time they saw it was a table read. The next time they saw it was a completely different show on television. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, th- that's one thing we brought um, from, from Scrubs. Um, we certainly knew from Bill 2 how to do TV guerrilla style. It's not the ideal way to do it, but Bill was a guy who had a family, and, you know, it, it wasn't about, like, but, but by the same token, in other words, wanted to get out and have a life, but by the same token, really wasn't willing to compromise quality for the sake of it. So it led to some late nights. It led to some, you know, like, last-minute revisions. On that show, on Scrubs, was, was even more sort of dysfunctional than community at its most dysfunctional we were shooting a scene for a story in an episode that we hadn't outlined yet um, we didn't have anything <laughs> How to does do this happen? we didn't have anything we, we had nothing to shoot on Monday we quickly came up with a C story runner for Turk and JD shot that decided we were going to shoot that on Monday and then on Monday we, re, we, we broke the whole other episode around this C story it never it never got quite that bad on community although on community for this 8 uh, bit animation episode that was just on last week mm-hmm. um, we shot the live action stuff uh, with um, with Gus um, uh, we shot um, that morning. We, we were there for the rehearsal, and they were still building the set because that's how last minute that was. They were we had to, we couldn't start shooting until the set was complete. So it was it was it was that experience under Bill to sort of learn that despite it, to keep your calm, to just get the work done, to not completely <laughs> panic and jump out a window. Um, we were prepared, uh, and it's, it's a happy accident. We were prepared for Dan Harmon. Um, as we will be prepared for absolutely anything that anybody ever throws at us again um, because of Dan. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about how you, know, you guys plan to take the reins on the next show uh, in a minute. But Aisha, uh, we've heard this come up about comedies quite a bit where there are late nights, there are these rewrites on the fly. Has this been uh, the case in your experience? Yeah, we've had, we definitely have our late nights. It's pretty common for us to be there from like, 9.30 to 9. So I'm enjoying hiatus now because I can go to dinners and do things <laughs> like that. But um, I, I still think considering other comedies, it's not... We've never had to do weekends, which I know a lot of other shows have had to do. I should tell a George Lopez story. <laughs> yeah, tell it. We'll yeah. get to it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've definitely we've had to work late and things come up and you want to beat a joke or you want to change your story and you realize something's not working and it's like, is it worth it to have this late night versus putting an episode mm-hmm. out there where something that's, you'll hear about it later, like, that didn't make sense. It's like, we knew, but we just thought we'd go home and said, so. Um, I like your priorities <laughs> on the show. <laughs> yeah, so, um, it definitely happens, but yeah. I want to hear about this. Yeah, too. yeah me too. Well, yeah, I mean, talk to us about some of these early comedies that well, you Well, yeah, were it was on. my first job, yeah. so it was really exciting, and uh, <laughs> I started in the Disney Fellowship, so, uh, and if people don't know about it, you should, because it's mm-hmm. a great place to start. And uh, they sort of got me my first gig on George Lopez. It was starting up, and I was uh, one of the token uh, minorities. And um, <laughs> it was an interesting experience, because as a child, I always watched all these sitcoms, 70s sitcoms, 80s sitcoms, and like obsessed about them. And then the reality of it is not the same thing. <laughs> um, you know, I realized when it was bad, when there was one uh, night at 2 o'clock in the morning when I was driving home and crying <laughs> while I was driving, just tears. And then I go into my little shitty uh, studio apartment in Los Feliz, and I sit down, and I look at my answering machine, and there are, like, no messages. I'm like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> you know? And then the next day you come in at 
9.30 or 10, and everybody's like, oh, I didn't see my kids last night. I'm like, at least you have kids. I can't even date. I have no dates. Nobody calls me. My friends hate me. This is not good. It was, it was pretty torturous. And, you know, and for George and, Lopez. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> we, we can't even make the art versus commerce uh, argument there. No, I mean, there. look, I mean, it, like you said, it was, it was all based around one person's, you know, stand-up. So, I mean, it is what it, what it is. And Bruce Helford, who ran that show, was trying to recreate Roseanne, hmm. sort of a Latino Roseanne. And that's really what that show was trying to create. And it had a really big fan base. It was just, I think it was too niche-oriented. Uh, Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. But uh, I did that show, and then I did Freddy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, let, me, let me stop you, you know. there, cause, and I want to get into it. But just to, to pick up what you were saying... Uh, coming out of the Disney Fellowship and then going into Lopez, what were your expectations? My expectations were not to shit myself in the writer's room. That's about it. You succeeded in that, right? <laughs> um, I think, you know, you go in and it's like, you know, it's also you hear all these stories. It's a boy's room. It's mm-hmm. boy's room. And it's a sick and it's a stand-up, so it's going to be a little harder. And uh, it was. I mean, um, I don't consider myself a joke writer, mm-hmm. and that show is very jokey. It was sure. a very jokey show. Um, but also, since it was trying to emulate Roseanne, there was a lot of stories we wanted to do and a lot of heartfelt stuff, so I felt like I was could contribute at least in that. Um, I think that it's nerve-wracking. You're you know, a young writer. You've never been on a show before, and I was the first season was four episodes. Nobody knows this. It was pilot, three episodes, it was mid-season, buried on a schedule, and it was all consultants, and they were all really seasoned writers. Wow. It was, like, people that had worked on Roseanne, people that had worked on Frasier, like, you know, real seasoned writers, and then me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nerve-wracking. But you but must it have was, learned from the experience. Oh, my God. It was such an amazing experience. And then I remember it was still pretty nerve-wracking, and then they brought in um, uh, Finkel and Bear, who run New Girl, mm-hmm. and... Uh, they were awesome, and they sort of they were younger, so they sort of brought me into the fold a little bit more and like included me and like you know kind of pushed me to pitch more and like they were they were really great so I think it it, it was tough because that first that first experience was odd because it was all temporary writers. Mm-hmm. nobody was going to stay there if the show got picked up pretty much everybody was like on it working out a deal, <laughs> so it was this weird like are we staying? Are we going? Nobody was 100% committed kind of thing. It was really a weird experience, but it was, I learned a lot, a uh, lot. And, and so how long were you on Lopez, and then how did you move to... I, I was on Lopez for uh, two seasons and that first short season. Okay. And uh, we parted ways. It, was, it just wasn't really... I think I was unhappy there, um, <laughs> and I don't think they were happy I can't with understand me. why. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, I ended up... Staying in the Mohawk camp, uh, Freddie Prince Jr. had a sitcom. Did anybody see that? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was the comeback for Brian Austin Green, which was really great. He was fantastic in it. He was really That's great. Uh, so I worked on that for 13 episodes, and that was actually really that was much that was a really great experience. What was it, different? Freddie couldn't deliver hard jokes, <laughs> so we didn't give him that many. <laughs> so we gave a lot of the hard jokes to Brian. So there was a lot more character stuff. I almost feel like the show would have done better if it was a single camera. Hmm. It, it had that feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it was groundbreaking in the sense that one character never spoke English. His grandmother was, uh, only spoke Spanish and was subtitled. And so whenever we'd shoot her, we'd get double laugh. So we'd get a laugh from the live audience that was like, you know, that would get it in right. Spanish. And then we'd get another laugh when the subtitle <laughs> came on. So it was, that was fun. A little Good anecdote. Cheat. Yeah. Nice cheat. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I want to I want to pick up there when we come back to you and talk about the move into ours. Um, but Aisha, uh, tell us about your early experiences. What, were you setting out to become a television writer? It seems like you had this journalism background, yeah. but also a humor background. Yeah. No. Tell us about that. I just knew I wanted to write, and as a kid, I was really obsessed with that. Like I would go to writing classes at the library, and it would just be adults and like an eight year old <laughs> kid there. Um, and then um, I wrote the book More Than a Label when I was in high school, which was a nonfiction book just because I really got interested in cliques in high school. It was just kind of something I was super passionate about. Where'd you grow up? uh, Bayshore, Long Island. Um, And I became friends with this girl who had moved to Bayshore from Colorado. She lived in Littleton, so she would have been at Columbine if Mm. she hadn't transferred to our school. And we became friends. And I, I guess like the way that I was only 14 at the time when I met her and the way that it had been portrayed in the media was like oh this crazy school with like trench coat mafia and kids are out of control and like warring cliques and then when I talked to her it sounded just like my high school it was just exactly the same and then I kind of got interested in learning more about that and like um I always had friends in different groups who hated each other for like no it was like I'm friends with you why don't you you know so um I just started researching that and then I called a publisher and I was like what would I do if I wanted to write a book and they oh. said, send in a proposal, and I didn't know what that was. And I was like, got it, I'll take care of that. <laughs> and then I went to the library and looked up proposal, like, how do you do a book proposal? Sure. And then I sent it to them. It was actually, it's like ridiculous that that is what happened. <laughs> like, that's later crazy. on, once I moved on, I was like, oh, that's not how life works. That's not how <laughs> things normally progress. What but, an amazing experience yeah, to but, have, though, as a teenager. <laughs> like, I can't just call up you and be like, hey, I want this job. Can I? <laughs> oh, sure. So, but it was a great first experience. And mm. it was just something, again, it wasn't, the type of writing that I had been interested in. It was just something I wanted to do. And then... Um, what I, kind of stuff were you into as a teen? What was influencing like you? writing stories, mm-hmm. things like that. I wrote a script when I was a teen, actually, that was my first screenplay, and um, it was called Samantha. And later on, when I went back to look at it, I realized that it was just Dawson's Creek, but the main character was a black girl. It was just like... It was just basically exactly sure. a rip-off of Dawson's Creek, but with me as, as Katie Holmes. And I was like, this is great. Like, I've done it. Like, I'm, this is, I'm, someone will want to make this, obviously. <laughs> and um, it was bad. So, But I was always really into watching. I loved watching TV. <laughs> and then once I figured that was, I didn't really know you could be a TV writer. And once I figured out that you could do that, I was like, oh, I want to do that. I love writing dialogue. Uh, and so what were the next steps you took? Uh, the next step, well, I, I was on the Lampoon in college. Mm-hmm. And, and I was obsessed with The Simpsons growing up. And I knew a lot of the writers from The Simpsons had started at the Lampoon, so I was like, that's something I definitely want to do. When I got right. to school, I was like, I don't want to do newspaper. Like, everything just seemed kind of lame in comparison to... <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of just, like, who I wanted to hang out with. Also, mm-hmm. it was like, the newspaper just... I don't know. I was like, I want to do something fun, something creative. Um, so I joined the Lampoon, and then even there, I still thought, oh, I'll write, like, funny short stories, even though mm-hmm. I knew a ton of people who went into TV who moved to L.A. or New York. But I, had, I didn't really think about it until I... I took a screenwriting class my senior year, mm-hmm. and my teacher really encouraged me to try TV writing, and I moved to L.A. not having ever been here before, because I thought if I went, and I, it scared me, I would leave. So, so just, you just jumped right in. I just went right after college, um, and then I went, I went to USC for screen and television writing for a year. Okay. 
I lived by Sorority Row, uh, which was very crazy, <laughs> a very weird experience. And I didn't I'm, have a car for the first eight months I was there, oh, which was also crazy. It was, <laughs> Really I'm, curious a, I'm curious about what you got from that USC experience uh, that maybe you hadn't gotten uh, as an undergrad at Harvard. Uh, a lot more focus on story, because at the Lampoon, okay. you're just writing jokes, and mm-hmm. it's, you're encouraged. To, it's like you don't have to have a story at all. Sometimes you're just writing a list of jokes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just <laughs> writing a man screaming about his belt being too tight. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not necessarily creating a story. But um, at USC, there was a big focus on story. Also, it didn't really work for me, but there was a, it was just a big focus on getting things sold. I think USC more than UCLA or AFI is really big on just, um, I guess, just making money from creating. Like, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are the big, like, alumni from USC, so that's their model, and Shonda Rhimes is the television model, so Mm -hmm. it was a lot of that, and they didn't really, the television department was kind of new when I was there, so it was a big focus on features. I actually ended up dropping out of USC, and that was one of the reasons why I did. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it was, and, um, it was just a big focus on features, and I had some friends who went there for directing, and for directing it made sense, I thought, because you have access to sure. equipment and the editing bay and all this stuff that, in the end, equals the amount of money you might have paid. But for a writer, I was like, this is very expensive. <laughs> a degree I may not need, actually. So. Yeah. so what did you start to do to uh, kick your way into the business? Um, I worked as an assistant. Um, I worked as an assistant for these two reality show producers. Um, And then then after that, I was still working on my spec. Actually, my boss at that time talked to me about how he had written on shows. He created the show City Guys, which I don't know if you guys remember. It was... about but, the guys in the city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, you get it. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're. Know you understand. Um, and he told me how he used to like. He used to work on as an assistant, but he'd go home and write scripts. And he's like, if you're really focused, you're just going to keep doing that. You're going to be writing. And then like two weeks later, I quit because I was like, that what you said made a lot of sense to me. So I'm leaving. I'm not working for you anymore. Um, and then I kept writing. I wrote a Sarah Silverman spec as I was working a part-time job as an assistant for these three lawyers, these lady lawyers. It was kind of like a sitcom. Itself. <laughs> so, I worked for them, and then um, after that, I applied to be an assistant for Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, who were heroes of mine. They ran The Simpsons yeah. for a while, and uh, they were working on this Mitch Hurwitz show, and they needed an assistant, um, and my friend had worked for them before, and she recommended me, my friend Lila Strawn, who's an awesome writer as well. And um, I went in... And they wanted me to work for them, but I knew it was going to be another really intense assistant job like I had just had, and I had really committed that I was going to work on my writing. Mm-hmm. So I very nervously said that I couldn't take that job, wow. which was actually... I talked to my parents, I talked to my college roommate, tons of people about whether I should do that. And I said, thank you, I really appreciate it. It was so great to meet you. And they had offered to read my stuff, which people do all the time, and it never happens, or they do read it and you don't mm-hmm. hear from them for six months. And so amazingly, they read it immediately, and they called me and were like, we want you to write on the show. Wow, and it was just incredible. like, they, I mean, they're amazing <laughs> that they would actually do that. So yeah. that's how I got hired on that show. And how were you feeling about your writing at this time? <laughs> you know, like you wanted to not take the job so you could work on your writing. Yeah, well, I really wanted to, you know, work on that spec. I, I, had, I had written an office spec when I first was at USC, and everyone was writing office specs at that time, mm-hmm. people who wanted to work in comedy. And I think that kind of hurt me because it was like another office spec. And then I tried writing a Samantha Who spec, and I was like, this doesn't feel quite right either. And America said the and same thing. Finally, <laughs> and finally, I wrote a Sarah Silverman spec, and that was a show I really liked. And I felt like it was more 
closer to my voice as like kind of like a weird girl. And I finished that just I finished that just like I think a week um, after they had said I had told them that I couldn't be an assistant, and they had said when you're when you have something to send, and so I sent that. Um, but still, it was still a learning process. Like, when I got there, it wasn't like, you know, this is it. And I was a staff writer. I learned a lot from everyone there. And it was also it was an animated show, so there was way more focus on just jokes, which was something that's like, oh, I can do that. Um, Bill and Josh have this, um, they had this way of doing things where they would send writers off to their offices and just write a bunch of jokes, not even pitching in the really? room, which was also really helpful for me because I was very shy, as I still am, which obviously. But I was even more shy then, and I was really nervous, so I think it helped that I was able to just be alone and write jokes and not have to worry about, like, interjecting over someone who'd been working for 10 years mm-hmm. and didn't, you know, so. Neil, tell us about where you came from and, and the stuff that influenced you early on and when you realized, oh, people write stuff for a living. I can right. do that. Um, it's just weird when you say that, because the free association I had was, re- was remember watching the Flintstone. This is not that, the answer to that question. <laughs> But, but in terms here. of where things came from, I remember like being fascinated, like watching the Flintstones, going, "Where's that laughter? Who's watching this and laughing? Where are they? Are they in a room? Are they cartoon people laughing?" I still don't know. Still trying to find out. Um, uh, well, I mean, origin story, right? Mm-hmm. Basically. So um, Garrett and I um, both went to the same college. We went to Yale. We didn't know each other there, um, though. He was a couple years ahead of me. Um, I came out here, I applied for, and this is uh, along the lines of the, um, it's not a writing thing per se, but I applied to an internship that still exists, which is the TV Academy um, internship. I think it's, I think you have to be a student, I think either college or graduate student or it's qualified. But I, I applied to that kind of on a lark because um, I just didn't really have that much um, uh, experience. Uh, I worked at MTV, I interned at MTV over, over a summer Oddly, going to Yale, you had to get college credit to be able to work at MTV for free. Yale would not give me that credit because they didn't have any type of TV or film program other than a film studies program. So I had to go to the local community college, pay $180 for some credit <laughs> to work at MTV for free. But, but it did give me the experience that I think that I needed in order to say to the TV Academy, I, I'm interested and I, I can do this. Um, I somehow um, uh, got it, got the internship. It landed me out here. I came... Um, uh, out, I, I looked up Garrett because I, I sort of um, I, I didn't know him again, but I, I called the sort of the Yale Alumni Association because I just figured any connection I could have to anybody because I, I knew nobody out here would be helpful. And they gave me a bunch of names. Um, Bruce Cohen was on that list. He went on to win uh, to produce American Beauty, and um, he actually weirdly also produced the Flintstones. So that's a recurring theme, <laughs> and the live action Flintstones. Um, uh, but I met Garrett. He was on my list. He oddly was the guy that I called last because I was told he was like really well connected and really whatever, and I was intimidated. And then I went and he was living out of a piece of shit <laughs> West LA apartment. Um, gave me his Thomas Guide. You guys are all way too young to know what that is, uh, so I could get around LA. Um, and we decided he, he was already writing um, uh, TV. Uh, I knew I was always writing. I wrote short stories. I wrote a poem when I was in first grade. They got published. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. Miss, I'm going to just sell my nonfiction book to my client. Um, my, my mom still has it laminated about two schools closing. I'll do a reading some other time um, in, our, in our district. But um, I was always writing like, you know, like short stories and this and that. And, and, and I, for me, it was like, you know, it was. It it was, um, it was about writing comedy and, and growing up on, on sitcoms and growing up on, and not necessarily even the best sitcoms. Like, I mean, I don't know where they stand in, in 
TV history, but the Facts of Life and Different Strokes. These are the shows that were on when I came home from school, all the embassy television shows. It was interesting because they, they were, you know, they weren't like laugh out loud funny and they also had this, the laugh track of studio audience, but they were always about something. You know, they always landed. And it was funny because when The Simpsons, ha- uh, um, uh, seriously? <laughs> when The Simpsons. Will you all sit still? <laughs> when The Simpsons started, I was in college, which is, which uh, I think, I think it started when I was, and it's like, that was like 30 years ago already, right? I was, in, it was, I was, in, I graduated Yale in 93. Um, but, it, and it was really funny, and certainly that's what all my friends would, would, we would say to each other. It was so funny to see it last night, but the early years, especially of The Simpsons, had these goosebump-inducing moments at the end. Um, they were really touching. And I'm sure James Brooks and Sam Sun, all these guys, like, I'm sure, made sure that, that those shows had that element. Today, to this day, I still believe, and again, this is not... Everybody in this room probably knows this, but it's, it's often taken for granted, especially when you sit down to write comedy, because it does feel like it should be about the joke, joke, joke. Um, but that's why story is, is key because it's and not just story that's interesting and, and that's fresh and that takes interesting turns, but um, that um, arrives somewhere, you know, that, 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 that it doesn't have to be like this big speech that Jeff Winger gives every episode, even though we, we would get into that rut every once in a while. But even on, on Community, was, and, and, and we were thrilled that Dan, for instance, on Community shared that. Dan, Bill for sure did. Seth MacFarlane did not on Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he just wanted to do joke, joke, joke. And then and, and after the first couple of years, I'm, I'm skipping around a lot, aren't I? <laughs> but but uh, he, got, he, he got, when the show came back in its third incarnation or second incarnation, he finally had the freedom to do that, and it worked. But that's the exception. Mm-hmm. That is the exception that proves, proves the rule, I think. Um, so it was about, like, it was about writing comedy, and it was about writing stuff that was cool and moving, you know? Like, and, and, and sitcoms allow you to do that. Um, and allow you to do it week in, week out. And, and they allow you, if you're able to get your instant gratification. I mean, it's not like writing features and whatever where you can make a very good living for years and years and never get, a, never get anything produced. And you're, you're churning these things out you know, week in, week out. Um, so Garrett and I started to write together. He was already um, doing some of it. Uh, he wrote a cheer spec and whatever. And I was actually an uh, intern. Um, part of the internship had me work on a show called Hang with Mr. Cooper with yeah. Mark Curry. Okay? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we decided stupidly, but, th- but not stupidly, to write a spec Hang with Mr. Cooper. The reason I say stupidly is because you're supposed to write good shows. The reason or I say popular not stupidly, shows, at least. Or popular shows. The reason I say not stupidly is because we had access to every script, every VHS, and it was sort of like a litmus test to see how we would write together. So we, we wrote this um, spec Mr. Cooper, <laughs> and, and we gave it to the guy that sponsored my internship was the head of the current programming department at Warner Brothers. I spent a couple weeks with him at the beginning of the internship just kind of following him around, um, which was very interesting. Cool. Steve Perlman now, he's a producer, an executive producer on Once Upon a Time. Um, uh, but anyway, um, he read it and said, this is really good. Um, it's unproducible because you've got a, a rainstorm and you've got animals, but, but it's good, so make it producible. I'm going to send it to uh, the executive producer of the show um, to see if she wants to maybe buy it as a freelance script. Um, oddly, I was working on that show still as a PA, and I was in this weird, unique position of being the only one in the office when it came, when the script came via Warner Brothers Courier. Um, I signed for my own like script and put it on the executive producer's chair. Um, and she never, ever... And, and I can see why now. Like, if an intern... If, the executive, if an executive gave me an intern script, I'd like to think I would acknowledge it. But... Um, not only did she never say a word about receiving the script, I'm convinced this day she was like, well, some of it was my own 
paranoia uh, because every time there was laughter from the writer's room, not an uncommon occurrence, even on Hangler and Mr. Cooper, that there'd be laughter in a writer's room. I was just convinced they were all holding up our script and everybody was just oh, pointing yeah. and laughing. Oh. But, um, Do you think uh, that she thought maybe you just delivered it on your own, too, since so you just brought it in? No, because it's, it had a cover letter. It had stickers. A confidential sure, WB. Okay. How would I get those stickers? Mm. Um, uh, never said anything about it. Every once in a while, would call me over, and I think this is it. And then she'd just go. Literally, she she one time like just went. I really like that shirt. And like she checked the label of it. And I'm just like, go, go buy me cigarettes. Um, but it was a, you know it was a, it was a um, nice shot in the arm for Garrett and I, to, to feeling like we we were able to to write together. We had fun doing it. We had no idea what we were doing because the next script we were like, we don't need to write an outline. Um, uh, let's just wing this one. And we sort of had to. Even even with a with, even a Hangover with Cooper's script was structured and had rules and that we that we kind of arrived at intuitively when we wrote that, but we had to kind of go back and learn what it was we did right, and that took two or three years. Um, we wrote many specs. Um, finally, wrote a news radio. Um, a show came along that was like our exact sensibility. We slaved away at it during our um, part time during our you know in between our, our full time jobs, both of us, and it took a year and we, we we wrote that and we got it into the, finally. You know, it was a combination, as it is for all of us, I think, and probably will be for all of you, or have been for all of you. Combination of having the material and knowing who to give them, and having the contacts. Mm-hmm. Um, the contacts that I met working for Perlman, he, I ended up working for Steve uh, as his assistant for a few years, and it got into Matt Rice's hands. He's now he's the head of UTA, thanks to me and Garrett. <laughs> now he's not the head of UTA, the head of I think the TV lit department, but a great agent. And um, you know, our first job was on a show called Step by Step. Also part of the TGIF. Thank you. TGIF. This one I know is sincere. Um, yeah, it was, a T- it was when TGIF moved over to CBS. It was sort of the last yeah. gasp yeah. for those guys. Yeah. For those, and, and, and you know, the shows came back, but they came back on cable. Um, the Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, the iCarly's, the, the, um, the Hannah Montana's. You know, and, and it's funny because those type of shows, they skip, they see, I think they kind of skipped the generation. I haven't done a scientific study on it, but... Um, you know, single camera just came into vogue, and um, a certain different sensibility came into vogue on the networks with with Seinfeld and Friends and all those shows. And then it was all about copying those. Um, and the fa- the sort of more family oriented three ca- uh, multi camera sitcoms went to cable. Now they're trying to because they're they're incredibly lucrative. They're trying to bring them back. Um, ABC is finally trying to resuscitate TGIF with moving Tim Allen and putting the Reba. Um, I'm glad people on the podcast can't see all these really important hand gestures. <laughs> Um, nodding. And, and so, yeah, and so one, uh, you know, step by step, great first job. Um, like Aisha, I never said, a, I don't know if you never said, I never said a word. I used to pitch, I used to write my pitches down, give them to Garrett. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's one of the benefits of having yeah. a partner, right? It is. I mean, if he's willing to do it, that's Yeah, if he's great. willing to get M&M's thrown at him for my <laughs> stupid Patrick Duffy, Suzanne Summers pitches. But, we, and we also, it was a very nurturing place. Like, again, you can you couldn't have chosen a better job because, um, uh, they also, like, when the room would get stuck on a joke, they'd send Garrett and I off into a room. I wouldn't have to deal with the writer's room. Um, we, we'd come up with a bunch of options. We'd come in. Inevitably, they'd pick one, and you felt like you were contributing, and you felt encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, um, then uh, family, step-by-step went down. We were, um, we were, you know, credits, unfortunately, matter. Um, Perception. It's perception. They shouldn't matter. They, they don't matter to writers, I don't think, but they matter to executives. And because that show was on its way out, we, we had trouble getting meetings, um, even though we had what we thought was a great news radio script and, and, and a good agent and whatever. 
Um, we almost ended up on a show called The New Love Boat for UPN. We were even told we got the job until last minute because we, didn't, we weren't drama writers. They wanted to have some comedy writers on it. Um, the offer didn't even come through. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where in your career, everybody's career, you can look back and go, like, when you thought, like, the real shitty thing happened turned out to be the best thing because Family Guy was waiting. Um, and uh, David Zuckerman and Seth, who were credit blind, didn't care where we came from or anybody came from, read our script. We liked it. We had a great meeting. And... Um, we were there, and you know, one job sort of just. Um, well, no, it's not as easy as one job led to the other. Oftentimes, there was there was there was fighting and 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 you know, hand wringing and message checking. But um, I don't think I, I don't think uh, before Community, I don't think Garrett and I ever received more than one offer between seasons. Like a lot of writers get multiple offers. That's all you need. We went step by step. We were in Family Guy for two and a half years. Daddy-o. And then Scrubs for 100 years. And then Community. Scrubs for eight years we were on that show. We were just saying in the green room, it's like, I don't think that's going to happen again. For, certainly not for us. Um, but, yeah, it's rare. But it seems like once you hit, uh, like, if, if news radio was the thing that was the, your sensibility. Right. Um, and it was such a, a great show. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like that sensibility sort of echoed in Scrubs and Community and in the new show, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like Family Guy is a bit of an outlier there. Uh, what was the adjustment like for you guys? to? Because we it was a joke machine. It was right? a joke machine. And we, you know, when we were there, there was David Zuckerman was brought in he, from King of the Hill um, to be the guy to inject that to make those episodes about something, to make those stories about something, to have those stories emotionally land. So we were there during that era, and some say <laughs> those were the better episodes. I'm sure everybody has a different opinion. But um, uh, I don't know. It was the right time for us. We really liked it. We thought we were, we thought we were on. It was, it was like a group of, I mean, it was all guys. It was 20 of them locked in a room to the point that if anybody, any female, it was like jail. <laughs> Immediately, everybody knew there was a female on the floor. We worked in this office building in Laurel Canyon across from Gelson's. And we were there. We were, we, we, it was very late nights. We were all in our mid, early 20s and didn't have lives or families. So um, we were willing to, to do it. But I don't know. There was something special about Seth and his, you know, his genius for, for, for jokes and that's, that style and, and the rat-a-tat-tat nature of it all. I mean, truly, every, for every joke, I don't know if it's still that way, but for every joke you would see on that show, we wrote, like, you know, there, there, there was the script at the end before the final pass would be really, like, book manuscript thick because it was filled with alts for every gag and every joke. Um, and that was a great training ground for joke writing. Um, and we really thought right off the bat that this show was going to, you know, I mean, be a giant hit. And it, it ended up being a giant hit, you know, five years later. But um, but um, uh, and, and, and was, but there's some validation in that too, in terms of like your instinct. Um, but I don't know. I guess to answer your question, it was like it was it shaped it helped definitely helped shape us. Um, but it was the right show at the right time for us. And, and and I even think there was when we thought Family Guy was dead, Garrett and I, we there were jokes that we just ripped off a of Family Guy and stuck in Scrubs. <laughs> like there was a joke about. You know, like a, a, a pun joke about shitting a brick and Peter shat a brick in the toilet and then Elliot in a fantasy on Scrubs shat a brick. And there were a couple other ones. And then we were, when the show got picked up and actually people were, we, we realized people were actually watching them, we, we stopped. <laughs> um, but, um, but I don't know. It's inter- I don't think it's because of us, but I saw a lot of fa- family. Because of Scrubs also, Bill was a little self-conscious about being a, doing a single-camera show. Uh, and, and, and the stuff you lost from not having an audience 
Um, and so early, when you watch early episodes of that show, there's sound every time somebody moves their head, you know, an arm or whatever. I mean, it was like he was throwing everything into that show in post during with the fantasies, the um, the sound effects, the rapid cutting um, to give that show a pace and an energy. And and you know, people wrongly, you know, would say to us, "Oh, we see your you know your influence." I mean. I say wrongly. Who knows? Maybe, maybe there was some of it. Again, I think it was more of a happy accident and a confluence of, of similar sensibilities between Bill and us. But um, there was some continuity there between Family Guy and Scrubs. Um, you know, and Scrubs definitely in, in the tonal shifts within an episode, across episodes. I mean, let's not forget that show also never a giant hit um, for its age, for its, for its day and age. Like, again, getting... Um, Many, many more million viewers than than than. But it's all again, it's all relative, and it would fall off a lot from Scrub. I mean, from 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 Friends. That show survived because of the beauty of low expectations. Um, it would always get yanked around. It would always bring its co- loyal core audience. That's look. That's some of my bias with this community decision. I go, that show got yanked around, but people stuck with it. Will they do that now? I don't know. Um, they may out of curiosity, and but their radars are really going to be out there for anything. The second anybody opens their mouth and says something that doesn't sound like um, the character they know and love, they, they might bail. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, it's been we've been we've been fortunate. We run shows. Um, you know, people's careers have very long careers, and they're 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 you can't really pick and choose what show you want to be on um, uh, very often. And um, to, to 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 say that you know. Almost all the shows you've worked on, your career shows that you, you would watch and that you really like and love, um, very lucky in that regard. Um, and, and that's actually a good place for us to jump back to Daylin. About you know you you don't get to pick the shows <laughs> that you wind up on oh, no. uh, very often. <laughs> Was it a concerted effort for you to, though to move from comedy to hour longs? Uh, yeah, you know as I. Earlier, I told that story about how I was hysterically crying at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I think at that point, uh, I went to Freddy, which was a good experience, but I realized that I wasn't particularly suited. Um, I I, I wanted to do more character work. I'm a playwright. That's how I started. Um, I'm from the East Coast, and I was writing plays published (laughs) when I was 17 Um, available you can purchase them Um, and uh, I just wanted to do more character work Mm -hmm. so I think that the best thing that ever happened to me was Ugly Betty coming along because that was a perfect transition from coming from comedy over to one hour and they needed another token minority (laughs) so um, but that was a great experience and it was um, I think tonally and just sort of stylistically exactly what I wanted to do, you know. Um, it, was, it was not that hard of a transition, believe it or not. I mean, I had, you know, you have to then write different kind of specs to make sure that people know that you can do uh, a five-act structure. So what did you write? Uh, God, I think I wrote, yeah, that's when I wrote Starving Artists. I wrote a spec called Starving Artists, and it was about... 20-somethings in New York, and it was before Williamsburg became the hipster capital of the world in Brooklyn. It was when they still had crappy loft warehouses, because I'm dating myself, because uh, my friends lived in them <laughs> when I lived back in New York. So it was about, it was, the way I pitch it is, it was uh, what happens to the kids in fame when they graduate. They're waiters and bartenders, and they're broke. And so that's basically what it's about. It was a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And uh, I think that's the, that got me on the show. Um, and it was a really great experience. And 
Then after that, it's, you know, a fun, exciting, wild ride <laughs> where suddenly, years later, you're on a cop show. <laughs> it was, uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> what, uh, on Ugly Betty, uh, do you remember what level you came in at? Um, I had a very uh, bizarre beginning to my career because I started in the fellowship. And unfortunately, I got stuck in a little bit of, I know I keep making these jokes about minority, but it, it's true. I had a, a bit of a problem because I kept getting on shows through oh, sure. because of minority hiring. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? We haven't really yeah, tackled it very much. It's, it's really a, a weird experience because what happens is, at least for me it happened, and uh, I hope it does not happen to you, Aisha, because you're early on in, in your career. What would happen is that I would get on a show, and uh, so I was on George Lopez, and I got up to story editor on jo- George Lopez, and then I left that show, and they'd say, well, uh, you have to be a staff writer on Freddie. Basically, because the studio will pay for me because you're free to the show. Because my right, my yeah. my name ends with a Z. So and then uh, and then after that, oh the same. So on Ugly Betty said, okay, well we'll bump you to story editor. Um, so basically, what happened is that I was a staff writer three times and a story editor twice. So I couldn't get out of that, and and basically it gets to a point. That's when you fire your agent, which is what I did, and. Um, it got to a point where I just... I've worked on every Latino show on television. I think with the exception of Resurrection Boulevard, which I think three people saw. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I was on Kane, <laughs> which was great. And actually, that was, out of all those shows, really, I was very suited for. Uh, but nobody saw it. And then the strike happened. So I, I fired my agent. I got a new agent. I said, I want you to put me on the whitest show on television. <laughs> And they put me on 90210. <laughs> so, it worked. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I, I just, not to say that I don't love, right now I'm developing a pilot for ABC Family and it's a Latin family. I love writing, writing stuff mm-hmm. that's from my heart and my experience and my culture. But what happens is you get pigeonholed. And you get pigeonholed many ways. I'm sure you get pigeonholed as a comedy writer that you're, Tonally can only do this, or you know, you own, you're the quirky girl that can only do this. You know what I mean? It's whatever it is. I feel like you always have to fight against that in this business because it's very easy because people like to brand you, mm-hmm. and so they'll brand you as this one thing. And maybe that's great for you. Maybe that's what you want to do. You want to be, you know, that person. But I'm a writer, and I want to believe that I can write. Mm-hmm. Anything, And to be honest with you, um, George Lopez was difficult for me because I didn't grow up in California. I wasn't, I'm not Chicana. You know what I mean? I don't have that same experience. As a, so just because my name ends in a Z doesn't mean that I'm going to add any more authenticity to that than anybody else. So it's, it's, it's a struggle. And then, um, but, but to be honest with you, any spec that I write that's my own, um, I always try and put a little bit of color. And it here and there, just because that's my experience. I grew sure. up in New York. Uh, I know there's a lot of controversy right now about girls. Yeah, regarding the lack of color on the show. Um, that wasn't my experience growing up in New York and New Jersey. I had a lot of ethnically mixed friends, you know. So I enjoy writing stuff that's like that. And I think I got off the topic. What was the question? I don't know. That covered it for me, though. But, yeah, like no, that was my transition to one hour actually was easier than most because I know a lot of people really, really struggle to oh. move over. But it was, uh, I was in that period of 
sitcoms are dead. Comedies mm-hmm. are dead. If you don't move to one hours right now, you will have no career. And I was like, I'm going. <laughs> I was running fast, you know. And I'm really happy comedies are back. And it would be nice if dramas weren't all CSI all day, all night. Um, it's nice to write procedurals that have character. And if nobody's seen The Glades, it's actually a really quirky, fun show. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've character. gotten this opportunity on cable, and you're someone who's moved back and forth from yeah. network to cable. And is is there a discernible difference? I'm never, in... I, if I can, uh, never work on network again. No. Um, I know that it makes buttloads more money, but I have to be honest with you: it's a ten episode order. It's a small staff. You barely get notes <laughs> if they like the show and it's doing well. They're like, "Great, it's great," you know. Um, I think like shows like you know my understanding of Breaking Bad and those shows with like really really huge fo- like cult followings, they know that they have a diamond, so they don't mm-hmm. try and they don't try and polish it over and over and over again until you know they dull it somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I think that there's a, just a different feeling and attitude on cable, um, just a little bit. Uh, they allow writers to be writers. You know, which is really nice. I'm curious, uh, Aisha, is this the case on Parks and Rec? I mean, you guys know you're on a good show, but just as far as notes and as far as working it to death, you know, do you guys kind of know what you have and and let it breathe? Yeah, I think that NBC's, as with us, has been pretty good about that. I mean, I think that Mike and Greg are pretty open to notes, and because they come into it that way, and because also because going in, Greg had such a track record with the office with them, that they kind of knew to trust him, and because of that, also to trust Mike. So I think that, you know, it's never been noted to death. Like, we get things, and it's a very uh, open, in terms of, like, sometimes we agree and sometimes we don't, or sometimes a note seems to be talking about one thing, Mm -hmm. but it may actually be addressing something else. You know, like, maybe that scene just wasn't as funny as it should have been, and that's why you saw that, or maybe you're asking about something that's related to... Tom, Aziz's character, but it was really something um, that we needed to change about Ron, mm-hmm. Nick Offerman's character in that scene. So that's something that I've, I've that's the from case. That. That's the case of all know. I, that's <laughs> the one thing that I've learned that I think is really invaluable when you work um, with, you know, there are all these cooks in the kitchen and you get all these notes, is that the best thing that you can do as a writer is learn how to interpret notes. Yeah, it's, like, very, you know, it's very often, Garrett and I always use the phrase, the note behind the note. The because, note behind the right, note, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a matter of, you know, like, there's some, look, there's some value to getting object people, because there's groupthink involved. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're sitting in a room with 12 people, and believe me, you got, everybody in that writer's room is attacking the script and asking the same logic questions, but still, sometimes, like, that script comes out of that room, and things that are in the group's head isn't on the page, or, or you know, it's not as clear as we think, whatever the category is. And so, the, the, the objectivity is, is, is useful, but very often, um, uh, it's, it's not always, let's put it this way, it's not always articulated correctly. And so, there's a very often, and, and Dan, Dan was actually a big believer in, well, they're reacting to something. You know, something isn't, isn't flying. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's, let's figure out, what, if it's not what they say it is, then let's figure out what it is. And oftentimes right. it did lead to something, a fix, yeah. We, yeah, we hear that a lot, and it's great advice. Uh, even, you know, as we're putting together our sample scripts or our spec scripts, is, you know, you show them to a group of friends, and you're getting the same things over and over. Or, right. you know, you're hearing something's not quite working. It's worth investigation. Um, I want to ask you very briefly uh, Neil, you're you're putting together a staff right now, or you've just finished putting together a staff. Right. How did you go about it this this time? Um, you know, we 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 
actually arrived a little late um, on this show. We had a deal with 20th, and then it became about um, which show they were going to have us uh, join. Because we said we, we still wanted to. We liked to work. We didn't want to disappear into an office and develop. Because if you're not working, it's very easy to just sort of veer off into, into Neverland. But, um, um, and again, it's about keeping sharp and all these things. So uh, we, were, we met with Nick Stoller for his show at CBS. Um, we met with Dana. Uh, we met with the Goodwin Games guys, all these shows. 20th got a bunch of comedies picked up. They all had this kind of need. Um, the, the Stoller show ended up not going. Uh, it surprised uh, some people. Um, it was a very good pilot. It just single camera for CBS um, and very young, skewing sensibility. But anyway, um, so Ben and Kate, so they had already hired um, a couple of the co-EPs by the time we got there. Um, but had offers out, very nice guys. Um, and then, you know, when we joined, um, we started, you know, reading the scripts, um, reading it to some degree with an eye toward does the sensibility match. If you have that, it's a, it's nice knowing this person can pull off this kind of tone. Um, however, you do have to watch the pigeonhole thing. Conversely, if somebody is re- like a really dark, funny script, but the story is well told, and the, the characters, it's different now, too. Years ago, uh, when I was writing, you, you were not supposed to write any original material. Right. It was all about specs um, of existing shows. Um, when you did, too, it sounds like. Yeah, it was, so I was just, running. I think, at the very end of that. Like, as I got in, it was like, you, you may need another thing. And, yeah, and you were told, absolutely do not, because it was, the feeling was you were kind of showing your hand a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, your development hand. And you wanted to keep that to yourself and have forced people to pay a lot of money for it. It's completely different now. Um, it's rare we get a spec. Part of it was because comedies dwindled. Everybody was writing, like you said, there was a glut of offices. Everybody was writing the same script. And it was hard to differentiate. And people's minds got numb reading 100 Modern Families or whatever. But um, uh, so, so you read these pilots. You read them to, to, to see if there's a sense of structure there, story. It's great if there's a certain specific voice. Um, if it's, again, if it's in line with what the show is, then terrific. Um, you know, that's the first sort of gate that is kept um, the, the first filter to get through, then you bring people in. And from that point on, for a meeting, and that point on, it's, it's largely a matter of chemistry. You know, you talk um, like we're talking. And it's, it's you know, Dana likes, I, I tease her, but I haven't teased her yet, but I will. Uh, or I'll tease her by virtue of this. Um, like, or oftentimes these, these meetings are slotted for like, what, like a half hour? You know, I cut 10.30, another one comes at 11. I saw Dana, the calendar for Dana was like, okay, 9.30 so-and-so is coming in, 11 so-and-so, 1.30 so-and-so. I'm like, all right, maybe she's got calls in between. <laughs> no, this woman can talk for an hour and a half straight. <laughs> but she's delightful. I'm not just saying that. And, and you know, it's like, it, and it's, it's actually smart. She's just sitting around bullshitting with somebody, get, to, get a sense of you, is this somebody that... You'd want to sit around, you know, for hours on end, room in a room with, and will you be comfortable? Um, you know, so it has to sort of pass that. This, and then, frankly, you know, this day and age too, we, you, 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 people are, migrate from job to job, and oftentimes it's easy to text a friend that's worked with somebody or email them and say, "What did you work with this person? How was the experience? Were they nice? Were they good?" Um, draft writers, were they good on set? If it's a single camera show, were they good joke pitchers? You know, we also the philosophy Garrett and I from our staff writers. We want to give them space because we know what our experience was, but we want a democratic room. We want everybody to talk. We want people to err on the side of, of um, contributing as opposed to being silent. Um, it's okay if they start that way, but if, it, if that lasts too long, that becomes problematic. And the reality is, unless you work with somebody directly, you don't know, you don't know what you've got until they're in the writer's room um, uh, with you. And, you know, is it too late by then? Yes and no. There are options. Um, under the Bill Lawrence... Um, 
era, uh, I mean, way of doing things, he's got this no-asshole policy, which he talks about all the time. Basically, you're hired, and as long as you're not an asshole, you can stay. It doesn't matter if you're not a great writer. If you're not an <laughs> asshole, you can stay. Um, and everybody on Scrubs was great, but it was something that Garrett and I went, you know what, we're going to tweak that. You still can't be an asshole. But um, if you're not pulling your weight for whatever reason, sometimes it's just not the show, it's not the right show for you or the right mix for you, um, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at that option very seriously. And um, that some of that played into the turnover on community. Some of it was, uh, some of it, uh, the turnover was just people going, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> um, one guy that we hired this year in the middle, midst of some turnover was about to uh, plan a trip to Vietnam before he came on board, and I was like, Welcome to Vietnam. Um, you're still going to get to be there. And then his agent called. There is a writing team, and their agent called me. Uh, they started on Monday, and they started on Tuesday. And he said, "How's their first day?" And I said, "It's still going on because they arrived on Monday morning, and we're still there. To, to they haven't left." This was part. This was relatively par for the course. Not not something I'm bragging about. Dan's fault. Um, <laughs> But anyway, um, you know, it, it's like it, it, it's a weird feeling of uh, the power of because like, you're, you're literally like playing chess with not to put too much on it because everybody's talented and is going to get a job somewhere. But it's there's something freaky about like the cards on the board and taking them off and putting them back on. And you feel like you're playing games of people's careers. But um, um, that's, that's kind of where we're at. What are you guys watching on television? <laughs> Parks and Rec. Um, I will watch the Glades. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> By the um, way, we premiere June third, season hey, three. Nice. <laughs> I'm enjoying Girls. I'm enjoying Veep. Um, uh, you know, Justified. I, I love. You know, it's like my. We're too tired to stay up uh, and, and watch a whole movie now with three kids. <laughs> um, so it's like 45 minutes is all we can handle in a, in a thing. So we're making our way through Justified these days, which is a really good show. So yeah. Um, I watched. Happy Endings, Burgatory. Um, I've only to New Girl now. I, I wasn't as on board in the beginning, and now that I'm, I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm really she is adorable. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. Um, so I'm enjoying that. It's funny. We don't get a lot of comedy writers who talk about watching comedy. Mm-hmm. It seems to go the other way. Um, Jealousy. Yeah, but you talk about watch dramas, comedy. I think, more in our room. Because sure. like we're all kind of TV obsessed, and we talk about Game of Thrones. We mm-hmm. were nominated for, I forgot, I think it was... I think uh, Alan Yang told us oh, okay, this story. That it was, we were, yeah, that we were all nominated. It was like new yeah. show or, or like best writing. And Mike was reading the nominations and he got to Game of Thrones after he had said Parks and Rec and we all just started chanting Game of Thrones. <laughs> and he was like, you work on this show. You're on Parks and Rec. And we were like, Game of Thrones. <laughs> like super amped for it. Um, and obviously when Friday Night Lights was on, we were obsessed with that too. Breaking Bad is a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, I don't even like genre like that, and I just am hooked badly. What what hooked you? D- and did you resist it going in? I was a little like, uh, Lord of the Rings. Right? Uh, <laughs> and then I just thought that the characters were amazing, and some of the greatest female characters I've seen on a TV show ever. Just amazing. So watch that, and... Um, Breaking Bad is probably my favorite show mm. on TV. Um... I watch Girls. I'm still on, on the fence on that one. Um, Nurse Jackie's really good this season. If nobody's watching it, it's really good this season. And I do watch New Girl. I'm, um, I, I watch Parks and Rec sometimes. And uh, I, I don't watch a lot of network television anymore. 
I hate to say. <laughs> you you, know? Not only did you get out, but you just quit watching No, I mean, it there's too. some stuff, like, if it's on, I'll watch it. Like, I think Castle is totally fun. And if it's on and I don't feel like watching something that's recorded, I'll watch it. I think sure. it's really fun. It goes and down great. Yeah, it's a fun, nice, cutely written, nice show. You know, I'm not being condescending. I think it's really a cute show. So there is, like, some stuff on network that if it's on, I'll sort of, I'll watch it, you know. If it's easy to swallow. Watch a lot of network. Yeah. I feel like I watch yeah. all of Thursday, like our night Thursday night on NBC. Mm-hmm. I watch and then um, I watch Revenge. I'm pretty into Revenge right now. It's pretty great. Uh. It is. It, I mean, it, it, it's become. No, I mean, it's not that show. I haven't seen it. But I was, I was going to say, like, we, we're, we're naming all these shows, and I, you left out a bunch that I that I do watch: Happy Endings and New Girl, etc. But um, it's like it is a weird little golden age of like you know not just comedies, but with with cable entering the fray. Oh, um, Louis, Louis is oh, coming. Louis, great. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. big yeah. Louis. <laughs> Sunday night, and like now it's like it's eight, crazy. We have to go, now I have yeah. to go crazy. home, and it's like so many yeah. hours of TV. Which Mad Men. It's true. It's Sunday, like, Sunday night, night it piles crazy, up. Yeah. Sunday night's um, crazy. And very briefly, you know, y- you guys, I'm sure, have each been approached to or have uh, attempted to create your own show and put it on the air. Uh, but is there a dream project that you have that, you know, you would love to put on the air? <laughs> um, I mean, I mentioned that Dawson's Creek ripoff. That That's definitely something that should be on the air at like some Dawson's point. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Dawson's Creek, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was weird. For, for, go ahead. No, no. I'm going to cut you off. Um, <laughs> Garrett and I, we've been under a development deal for six years. Haven't developed anything. Really? Every year they go, no. Eye on the ball. It was Scrubs. It was, then it was, uh, we, we, the one pilot we did do with Bill was called Nobody's Watching. It was oh, what we talked about. Yeah. We, did that. we leaked it on YouTube and tried to resuscitate <laughs> it and whatever. But um, uh, that was prior to our first uh, development deal. You know, every year they go, no, still... And is it just on hearing the pitch? Like, how far into the process Nothing. do you get? We haven't gotten to pitch anything. We haven't been in one... My wife uh, um, has sold three pilots. She was a staff writer, story editor, and then she left uh, to, to, to watch the kids. And she's like, she knows way more about pitching. And you know, I try to help her. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. In a, in a, you know. um, we've got a ton of ideas. Um, you know, we, we just need to sort through them. And, and I mean, that's the good news. And that's what we said to Fox. It's like, but then they're like Ben and Kate. And it's like in success, you, they, they want to, you know, I think status quo and, and not have you, t- have you, cause it does the development season kind of tends to pull you off the show. What would you say? Like December, January, people start disappearing. Yeah. yeah that's, we had three writers in our third season who were all yeah. development. So, you know, we're, we're not looking to gift horse in the mouth. It's a nice, like, little thing we've got with the, the show running. Um, and it's, it's nice that people think we're good at it, and hopefully we can keep things that way. But there's a trade-off. It's like we, 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 there's something... I have a friend, Tad, who created the show Bent, um, um, which was a really good show that got, by the way, just whatever, by NBC. Um, Britted. By NBC, <laughs> um, uh, but um, but he kind of he's coming off a deal and he's kind of like I don't I don't want a deal I want to focus on you know the um, the writing and it's it's nice to be able to have the luxury uh, to be able to do so but um, there's a family show idea that Garrett and I would kill to 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 you know like it's it's so for a while and I hope they get away from this too the high concept uh, when it comes to like development mm. especially in comedy Samantha Who is a great example of that for ABC for a while it was all about the hook what's the hook to this thing it's like yes for a movie you need a concept you need a hook you need the irony you need the what if not to say that these shows should be completely bland and, and, and nondescript but 
but we, we were like, well, let's purposely try to write something that has specific dynamics and has an identity, and we could see the poster of the show, you know, to think crassly for a second, but isn't like just some weird premisey um, pilot that we're going to after, you know, it might get enough you know, attention and get it shot and get it on the air, but then what the hell is it? So our, our goal is to um, hopefully, like, you know, without knowing the specifics, and again, this is everybody's goal, but we would love to write that we'd love to find the next like cheersy, you know, sophisticated multi. CBS is doing a great job with the multicam, but sophisticated. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I don't really watch them to be honest, but they Big Bang. They do them incredibly well. Big sophisticated, sophisticated. Um, I mean, I think the humor is intelligent. You have to have like a little bit of a right, right, right. Okay, that's fair. Mother, it's a hybrid. Hi, it's how a much hybrid. Mother, right, right. Yeah. Um, that's true. Um, but, but yeah, to write something like that that is in front of a real audience and is getting big, genuine laughs, and you don't have to laugh, you know, but like, that's everybody's goal. And some of it's lightning in a bottle. Cast, that matters a lot. And, and, you know, but that's, that's our hope, is to, is to get back into like, where we, the, thing, the stuff that we grew up on and, and create one of those, um, as opposed to the single camera. Yeah. I'm developing uh, something right now for, I'm with Universal Cable, for ABC Family, that's something I've wanted to do for a long time based on my childhood. So that's exciting. Um, it's weird because when you're writing something that's close to your heart, you have to, some stuff just has to go away. Right. You have to dramatize some stuff that wasn't dramatic at all and then take some stuff away that just doesn't work. So it's, that's been an interesting experience developing that. I'm still in the course of... Because cable is completely different uh, development season, so I won't know what's going on with that till the fall. But but it's been a good experience overall. It has been a good experience. That's it's, right. it's it's so far it's been pretty good. It's uh, it's just getting the right. It's funny because my agent finally read one of the drafts and he was like, "Well, I don't know what the show is," and I'm like, "Because it's not a hooky high concept." Right. <laughs> It's a soap opera. <laughs> you know, it's a family soap. It's a teen soap. There's, you know, I don't understand why you don't know what that is. That's ABC the, Family is a little the same way, though. I mean, look at their shows, Separated at Birth, and, and you know, it's like it's got this. Yeah, I guess my hook is it's a crime family. There you go. That's there you go. Interesting. But, um, but, there, but there's definitely, like, when somebody says, I don't know what the show is, well, it's about a crime family, yeah. and every week it's whatever their right. issues right. are. You it's know. the family. My wife it's pitched, family. A, my, my wife recently pitched ABC to ABC Family, and she was she came in with this idea that was like a relatively high concept idea, but they were like, make it bigger, you know, like expand it. We want it. The fr- it's got franchise potential, whatever that means, and like you know, make it bigger. So she she went and made it bigger, and she went and pitched it again, and the note was, it's small, too big. It's too big. Yeah, <laughs> we don't get it. It's too big. It's too unwieldy. And she's like, That's all right, well, crazy. let's cali- let's figure this out. Let's. We really like the idea, but yeah, it's uh, again, I don't know. But and it's always a moving target. You know, anywhere you go, it's, yeah. it's yeah. always a moving or unclear target. Um, please give a round of applause to tonight's panelists, Jalen Rodriguez, Aisha Muhar, and Neil Goldman. Uh, thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics and to 826LA. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 